The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive industry and its supporting ecosystem and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely in the right place. What's the buzz today? Well, I have a very, I shall say, damning quote from a gentleman named Elon Musk. This was a quote from him in an interview on March 15, 2015. Here's the quote. It's too dangerous. You can't have a person driving a two-ton death machine. Oh, my. However, the day after he was interviewed and made this public statement, he said, however, when self-driving cars become safer than human-driven cars, the public may outlaw the latter. Hopefully not. So he isn't quite in favor of getting rid of cars. So the title of our episode today is AI, Machine Learning, and Autonomous Vehicles. Who's Driving Miss Daisy? Look up Who's Driving Miss Daisy if you don't remember the movie. Let's see what we've got today. By 2022, about 1% of the total vehicles on the world's roads could be autonomous vehicles. What does that number look like? 10 million self-driving cars. Now, do the math. We're now in 2017. We're talking 2022, five years away. Not a long time. The debate about whether driver intervention is possible is rapidly becoming moot, according to the sponsor of this series, Larry Stoley, who you'll hear from in just a moment. He said, expecting a driver who is not aware 
to suddenly become aware and to suddenly intercede in a unique circumstance is preposterous. Talk about going on record with some outrageous statements. We're going to have to get Larry to talk about this. Larry says humans must create the algorithms necessary for fully autonomous driving. So with increasing machine learning and increasing artificial intelligence capabilities, only the morality needs to be supplied by a human. I think we've just read a dissertation here. We have a packed house today, and you're probably not surprised that my panel consists of Larry Stoley, Senior Global Director of Automotive Marketing at SAP, who is the sponsor of this series, joined by Heather Ashton, a regular here on the show. She's a research manager at IDC Manufacturing Insights, and rounding out the panel is Otto Schell, Global SAP Business Architect and SAP Center of Excellence Lead at GM, and he's a member of the Board of Directors of DSA. AG. That's SAP German Speaking User Group. So I'm going to turn around the table to the other side and let's talk to Larry Stoley. Larry has sent me a quote not only in the monologue I just read, which was basically crafted by him, but he has a quote here from HAL 9000. Okay, to stop scratching your heads, everyone. You remember HAL was heuristically programmed algorithmic computer first appearing in 2001, A Space Odyssey. You can look that one up, too. Here's the quote from HAL. It can only be attributable to human error. Larry Stoley, I'm getting you mixed up with Elon Musk here. I think you're both on the same track. How are you, Larry? I'm good, Bonnie. Very well, thank you. I, I I had to attribute the monologue to you, Larry, even though I, I tweaked it a little bit. It really was your were your own words, and I'm very intrigued. So you want to draw a stake in the put post a stake in the sand here, or draw a line in the sand on your opinion? Are you with Elon Musk's first statement that people are too is, dangerous to be behind the much, wheel? This yep. is very much a timeline mm-hmm. thing, you know. I everyone has to accept. I think that. Autonomous vehicles are coming. Our roads are going to be infested with autonomous vehicles. The driver-piloted vehicle is going to become an anachronism very, very shortly. I hate that. I, I, I don't like that idea, but alas, that's the way it's going to be. I don't see any other way out of it. And, and quite frankly, you know, this quote from HAL 9000, this, I watched mm-hmm. this movie probably 40 years ago when it first came out. And, you know, I was just really taken by the artificial intelligence, you know, that it was trying to portray that was possible in the future. And, yeah, they were probably a little bit ahead of their time. It didn't quite happen by 2001, of course. But the reality is, you know, vehicles will learn. They will learn to drive. And they will learn to do the things that humans do. And, you know, we have to start them off. We have to start educating them, right? We have to start teaching them the algorithms that allow them to learn and so on. But before long, we humans will become kind of superfluous to this whole process, and vehicles will be very, very much in control of everything they do. And somewhere along that path, the switch is going to flip, and humans are going to be no longer relevant to transportation. They're going to be the cargo. And I think, honestly mm-hmm. spoken, you know, the the quote from Hal can only be attributable to human error is uh, going to be the way of the future. Computers are going to be safer. They're going to be more precise. They're going to be more polite. They're going to offer us a safer mode of mobility. And anything deviant caused by human error. Wow, Larry, Larry very, very interesting. So, so do you side with Elon Musk uh, that we are too dangerous to be behind the wheel? What do you think? 
Well, I, you know, vehicles don't cause accidents. Accidents are People caused do. by drivers, whether it be from emotion, whether it be from negligence, whether it be from distraction, whatever the case is. Humans cause challenges and issues on the highway. Vehicles don't. So take that as, as my answer. Yeah, I think uh, I don't think we're too dangerous, but I think we're honestly the cause of uh, everything that uh, goes wrong on the roads. Okay, I'm going to add one comment before we bring on Heather Ashton with her quote. You mentioned that humans are just the cargo. We also mentioned in the opening that the morality comes from humans, and I would offer Larry Stoley that we're not just cargo. We're people who want to get from point A to point B. Otherwise, we wouldn't need transportation. So, in a sense, we are the drivers of the autonomous car industry because if we didn't need to be transported, we wouldn't need them at all. So, aren't we the ones who plug in, this is my destination, take me there, Jeeves? What do you think? Well, I, I agree with that, but so does cargo. Cargo doesn't plug in its destination itself. Someone, something does it for it, but cargo operates in much the same way. I want to be evolved higher than cargo, Larry. <laughs> I really, I'm going to fight you on this one. I really Strange am. future, I, eh? I, I, totally. I have to get Heather in on this. Heather Ashton, Research Manager at IDC Manufacturing Insights, has sent us a quote from, of all people, Ken Jennings on Jeopardy. Uh, Ken Jennings, anybody doesn't remember, he won 74 games in a row on Jeopardy before being defeated by challenger Nancy Zerg on his 75th appearance. If, now, we all know Jeopardy is one of the lowest paying, as far as I know, one of the lowest payout reality game shows in the history of television. Television, you know, you can easily win a million by picking two right balls falling down a tube on some other shows. But here's what he actually earned. He did very well. Jennings' earnings on Jeopardy were three million one hundred ninety-six thousand three hundred, which consisted of two million two point five two zero point seven million in his seventy-four wins, plus a two thousand dollars second place prize in his seventy-fifth appearance. A 500,000 second pace prize in the Jeopardy Ultimate Tournament of Champions and $100,000 for second place in the Jeopardy Battle of the Decades and half of a $300,000 prize in the IBM Challenge when he competed against Heather Watson, right? So, yes, so he had a, a long run and brought us into the age of Watson. So here is the quote Heather has selected from Ken Jennings. I, for one, welcome our new computer overlords. Oh, I can see people marching in with helmets. I'm, I'm having visions of Darth Vader. Heather Ashton, how are you? Very well, Bonnie. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Love the quote. Talk to me. And, and you can comment on the conversation Larry and I just had if you'd like to. But go ahead. Tell me how you picked this Ken Jennings quote. Sure. I was trying to highlight um, the fact of the reality that, you know, artificial intelligence is coming. It is the present. It's going to be the future. And, you know, I think the faster we embrace it and use it to our advantage, the better. Um, so, so to the point that Larry was making about that we're going to be cargo, I would also like to think that we're at least going to be intelligent cargo <laughs> and that we will at least have some control over where we're shipped and packed and moved around. And part of that is, you know, being enabled through this, you know, artificial intelligence. And, and I think the reason I like the quote also um, was that trust factor. So I think that, it, you know, as soon as we're able to trust the computers, right? Trust Watson, trust a lot of this machine learning and artificial intelligence um, that we will be more comfortable with the future. And I, and I do believe it will enhance our lives in many ways and make them safer, definitely, to Elon Musk's you know, point of view. 
So, Heather, I want to ask you, um, what do you feel about the, what are your thoughts on Ken Jennings' comment calling our computer overlords? Uh, you think that was a little dramatic, or do you think that's how we're going to feel in maybe by 2022? I think that was a little dramatic. I think at the end of the day, you know, humans, the, the thing that makes us humans and at the highest, you know, level of that um, evolutionary chain is that we have choice. And we have the ability to, you know, say yes or say no. So even though the computers may be surfacing information and and trying to help, you know, facilitate our lives and make them better, at the end of the day, we're humans. We can say yes or no. So I think that I think that was a little dramatic, but you know, a good point nonetheless. Nonetheless, and the cargo speaks, and the cargo (laughs) decides. I'm not going to let Larry sit too long with that one. Think that's and the cargo think that's the other thing, right? We have the we have a brain, so. That's right. And sometimes, Heather and Larry and Otto coming up next, probably the cargo sings karaoke in autonomous-driven cars with James Corden. I'm just going <laughs> to let that one sit there. So there, it thinks, it feels, it might have some morality, it might end up paying the bill if, if, if Hal crashes the car, but it sings and thinks. I like that. Thank you, Heather. Welcome back. And Otto Shell. Otto has sent us a quote from Brian Solis, who is a digital analyst, speaker, and author. He's a principal analyst studying disruptive technology. That's what we're talking about here. And its impact on business at the Altimeter Group. And let's see. He's most notably known for developing the conversation prism. It's the first time I've read about this. A visual map of the social media landscape. He developed it in 2008 and revised and re released it in 2013. So there. And here is the quote Otto has selected. Too many companies are approaching their digital transformation from a technology perspective. At the heart, digital transformation is the story of how people are changing. Brian Solis, Otto Shell, welcome back. How have you been? I have been good, and I don't know where you picked my quote, but it's somehow right, because the quote I picked is somewhere found on the internet, no author behind, and it's Simply saying, and the content is quite simple, similar, digital disruption is about people changing their thinking first and technology second. And I think that is exactly what it is. I drive autonome since I drive car. Either my father was driving or my spouse or my friends. So a robot is just another friend of driving me. That's it. Okay, and you know, I apologize if I got the wrong quote. I thought that's the one I got in the package, but the quote you mentioned is is basically the same, and I believe it's from uh, Steve Jobs. I think that's what was a very, very similar quote, so there's a lot of them yeah. floating around. Otto, how have you been? What have you been up to? I'm doing quite well. I'm uh, preparing a lot of stuff in the digital space. Um, there are some um, big exhibitions coming up here in Europe, as the SEBIT and the uh, Hannover Messe, where we talk a lot about uh, digital disruption, seeing things different, what happens to us in the world, and, and certainly how the world is changing and how we take everybody with us. So it's a lot of interesting part and also going and applying new technology stuff in our business environments. It's, it's really emerging right now, and uh, I think we know us all on the phone and in the call long enough that certainly there's some quote which is for Larry, for for you, for for everybody of us, which is saying, never stop, never look back, just go into the future. That's all about it. Absolutely. Driving Miss Daisy into the future. That's how I should have called this this episode. Thank you, Otto. Let's go around the table briefly and find out where each of our panelists are calling from and what's in their cup today. Larry, are you still carrying around that Yeti? And where are you from? Where are you today? I, I am in my home office in Grand Blanc, Michigan. Um, 
as you probably know, I've got black coffee in my cup this this morning. It's a coffee cup I acquired when I was in Rocky Mountain National Park about 20 years ago. So it's it's got a little bit of history. But I will I do have an announcement, Bonnie. Yes. Since the last show, I've you know I've always listened to what other people drink, what they add to their coffee, and so on and so forth. So I tried a little bit of that uh, experimentation, we'll call it, uh, mm-hmm. in the last month. And the announcement is this: Don't worry, everything that you add to your coffee, additives, flavorings, and so on, are safe. I'm not using any of them. I like black. Okay. He's on record. We have a lot of going on record today. Thank you very much, Larry. Heather, I have to have to brace myself for Larry every time. Larry, I'm glad you're drinking your coffee the way you like it. Heather, where are you calling from and what's in your cup today? I'm calling from Boston where it is starting to rain, which I guess is better than snow given some yes. of the, the storms we've had recently. Um, and in my cup is my typical, um, the full test, with a combination of almond and coconut milk. And I have to share with you, Bonnie, I have also been experimenting because I've been traveling a lot, and many of the places I go do not have my almond or coconut milk. So I ordered on Amazon recently coconut milk powder, which actually is kind of like that, you know, that cream, cremora or whatever used to be back in the day that you would use, um, instant creamer. And it works. So now I'm in a hotel room, and I brew myself my my coffee in the morning, and I'm able to, you know, get the creaminess that I want. Um, I'm happy to bring you a packet at some point, Larry. (laughs) Maybe you'll change your mind. You never know. Sapphire. You can bring us all a packet at Sapphire. I will be there this year. Heather, lovely. I'll meet you. It'll be the lady walking up to me with the packet of the the creamer. Hello, Bonnie. Guess who I am? (laughs) That would be be very interesting. Thank you, Heather. I'm glad you discovered that you have portable additives. That's very interesting. I don't know how that came out, but I intended it with, with only the best kindest thoughts. Otto Schell, where are you today, and what are you drinking, Otto? I'm in uh, Germany, Frankfurt area. Unfortunately, I have only a very old cold coffee in my cup because I'm running from one cold to the other. Uh, but still black coffee, but the cup is very interesting. It's about a go-live, which we did in 2001. So it's a 15-year-old cup, and we are still doing go-live. So that's how the world is changing. Wonderful. The world is changing indeed. I'm glad you could join us today. Very busy panelists all over the world today. Heather, by the way, it started raining here on Long Island about an hour and a half ago, so the roads are kind of drippy, but the sky is bright, so I'm hoping there will not be any more snow. They predicted it for last Friday, and it never happened. Thank you for being wrong again. I say that to our meteorologists. I bow down when you are wrong. It's usually to our benefit. We're talking about AI, machine learning, and autonomous vehicles already having a really good discussion. Uh, Larry Stoley started out by saying that the humans bring the morality. Now we find out we're cargo, and Heather and I agree we are thinking and singing cargo, and we're going to be going a deeper dive, finding out who actually will be driving Miss Daisy by 2022. You're listening to The Future of Cars with Game Changers Radio presented by SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and you all know by now I'm drinking cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug with an orange straw because I'm waiting for the sunshine to come back out. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back in about 60-plus seconds, we're going to dive into our roundtable in earnest with Larry Stoley, and let's see what kinds of very provocative and deep deep, I wouldn't say deep, dark, deep conversations. We're going to start with Larry, and then we'll go around the table adding Heather Ashton at IDC and Otto Shell at GM. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Kevin out. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. SAP is excited to be a co-innovator with the automotive industry as we help automotive and related companies digitally transform their entire industry and disrupt their existing business models. The Future of Cars with Game Changers brings you insights from the people in the driver's seat who are making this happen. We'll delve into industry challenges and solutions that support ecosystem industries, all to help you succeed in transforming your business and business networks for success in the new digital networked age. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top technology and business strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how the automotive industry is shaping the future of change for all of us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of cars with Game Changers. Here we are. Welcome back. And we are already deep in the middle of a very provocative conversation about who's going to be driving Miss Daisy, if you don't remember the movie. Oh, my. 1989 American comedy drama starring Jessica Tandy, the late and missed. Morgan Freeman still with us and Dan Aykroyd. Look it up. Charming, charming movie if you can get it on download or any way you get it. If you're too young to have seen it in its original theater release, I suggest you try it. It has so much, so much resonance with what's going on in our world today. Today, but I digress. Today we're speaking with Larry Stoli at SAP, Heather Ashton at IDC Manufacturing Insights, and Otto Shell at GM and the SAP German Speaking User Group, DSAG. We're going to start the roundtable now and let's look at some notes from Larry Stoli before the show. Larry told me the following. Secure vehicle-to-vehicle, and we will subscript that as V2V, secure vehicle-to-vehicle communication combined with vehicle-to-infrastructure communication is an absolute in the fully autonomous world of vehicles. And Larry adds, there's no avoiding the need for that investment in infrastructure, both the digital and the dinosaurs will be compelled to chip in. Okay, Larry, who's the digital, who's the dinosaur? Talk to me V2V and V2I, and let's unravel this, please. Well, digitals are typically millennials, right, or very, very progressive dinosaurs, if you will. They're the ones that have embraced the digital world that we live in. Dinosaurs, well, they're kind of like me. They like to drive. They like to drive with their hands on the steering wheel, foot on Mm -hmm. the gas, foot on the brake, that kind of stuff. But the the reality is autonomous is coming, and vehicles are going to be part of that infrastructure. They're going to need to communicate to each other. They're going to need to communicate to and from the infrastructure around them. And as we start moving into, you know, smart vehicles, machine learning, the fact that vehicles can learn, uh, they'll have to learn from other vehicles as well. I mean, why do we go to school? We learn from others. Vehicles will learn from the experiences of others. Vehicle-to-vehicle communications is, is crucial. Vehicle-to-infrastructure, same thing. Where's that accident? Was there an accident here? Avoid that. Vehicles will listen to that. They'll do that, and they'll take an alternative, even if it may be more circuitous route. And, you know, the idea is to be safe and, and to uh, get the human passengers, I won't say cargo, uh, 
Thank you. Uh, where they need to go, where they want to go, where they uh, uh, expected to go, and so on and so forth. So that infrastructure investment, vehicle-to-vehicle standards, all of that type of thinking is so crucial. Vehicle-to-infrastructure, the networks and so on necessary to support that, to support that learning of vehicles, smarter and smarter and smarter vehicles uh, is, is so crucial. And it's it's coming. It's going to have to be invested in by our, you know, our governments and ultimately by our taxpayers, of course, who governments draw their resources from. So this is crucial. It's, um, it's coming. It'll be here. And we have to accept it and do our share. Thank you very much. Sounds like a done deal. Heather Ashton, love to get your point of view on this. Agree or disagree with Larry? I agree to the to the point that um, that there will be all of that learning happening between the vehicles and and the opportunities that exist with the vehicle to infrastructure. I would say that as far as investment goes, um, there's an awful lot that the vehicles can do in the environment with each other without needing a, a significant infrastructure investment. I know it does enhance it if you're talking about things like you know smart traffic signals and and whatnot. That's definitely you know helpful. Um, I would say that the challenge that we're going to face if we if we think about the infrastructure being a significant part of this investment um, is that many of the roadways around the world are in horrible disrepair today, and you can't even fund that. We can't even fund the bridges that need to be repaired, um, which these cars will need to drive on. So I think that um, I think if there's ways that we can find, you know, to, to rely on the technology and the V2V ahead of sort of any of those massive infrastructure investments, um, that's going to get us faster along this pathway um, and really, you know, focus on and encouraging these cities, states, you know, countries, municipalities to, to invest in their the roadway infrastructure that needs to be upgraded, you know, just the basics, right? <laughs> Potholes, et cetera, that we all live with. Um, so, you know, that's kind of my, my point of view there. Thank you. And I saw a shocking statistic on the news the other day, Heather and Larry and Otto, about the number of failed or failing bridges in the United States. Talk about infrastructure showing bridges just collapsed and roadways leading up to them and off of them. Just the, the concrete just falling at a terrible angle, precipitous and wondering who was there when that happened and why aren't they being fixed? Lord knows we have our taxes. No comment from there. Otto Shell, love to get your point of view on V2V and V2I. What do you think? Yeah, we discussed this also in, in earlier shows that uh, at the end of the day, we need to differentiate between, to my point, autonomous driving, which is for me fully connected, B2B, V2V, whatever, and an autonomous experience. I'm looking into autonomous experience, I'm pretty sure cars can drive wherever. Yeah, the big trucks out in the fields for connected farming are doing this already. But if you want to have really the the efficient um, efficiency of autonomous that you can really connect cars to each other so that you can also limit the cars on the street. Yeah, So go away from the hundreds of thousands of cabs in New York to those which you really need because they are all mm-hmm. connected. Uh, this is efficiency that will help us in, in going down uh, with, with CO2 and other stuff. But there are really two different things and uh, I'm glad that we captured this here in the session because it feels to me that everybody's going around to, uh, like a cat around the soup or the milk to talk about these investments and this huge, huge uh, coordination of work everybody has to do to get there. Yeah? When you go into towns, it sounds simple as soon as you go over to the border and to, you go to the land, uh, 
land yards to the outside, everything what is then really more than just experience is getting connected is difficult. So we have to take this discussion. Thank you very much. Larry Stoley, what are your thoughts on what your co-panelists just added to your topic? Thoughts? Well, you know, they're, they're, they're absolutely right. I think we have to keep in mind that there is a differentiation between the physical infrastructure and the uh, digital infrastructure. And, you know, the investment that's got to come is in the digital infrastructure. Make no mistake, the physical infrastructure is important, crucial, and necessary. That's a given. That has to be maintained, repaired, upgraded, and so on. For even autonomous vehicles to, to work, absolutely agree with Heather on that one. But, you know, the investment in the digital infrastructure and so on, uh, V2I, V2V, and so on and so forth. This this is upcoming. This is crucial. And, it, it you know, autonomous vehicles, the, the new world, if you will, of transportation and mobility, it, it's going to be very, very dependent on that. Thank you, Larry. I'm looking at Heather's notes. I have a question for the three of you before I go to a, a very interesting topic, IMHO, from Heather's list. Um, will autonomous cars, when everything gets set, up and we have these networks and it's working, it's humming, it's really humming, it's purring, if you will, thinking of motor to Larry, our car guy, that's an homage to you, my friend. Will we reduce traffic? Otto was just talking about that a minute ago. Only the cars that need to be on the road will be there. So, for example, on a Sunday here on Long Island going to Jones Beach, I know Heather may know what that is. Uh, Larry and, and Otto, it's a very popular public beach. It's it's on the south shore of Long Island, and it's, it just gets thousands and thousands of people. You can't even get there on the road on a summer or Saturday or Sunday. Getting there, getting home, the roads are absolutely clogged. So, Larry and then Heather and then Otto, let's go around the table. Will autonomous vehicles in a well-constructed, well-orchestrated network be able to cut down on traffic and get us there in 20 minutes instead of two hours and 20 minutes? Larry, what do you think? Well, I believe so. I think a key element to that is well-accepted network as well because we have to accept that capability and so on. There was a study done in Ann Arbor, Michigan about three years ago, and they, they looked at Ann Arbor and said, look, we've got this many hundreds of thousands of vehicles uh, in the metropolitan area of, of Ann Arbor, Michigan, and they're only used this much of the time. And they went on to extrapolate, you know, from that that said, you know, the amount of traveling that, that is uh, needed to be done, that is done, and so on and so forth, both pleasure and business, can be accomplished by 18% of the vehicles that are currently in operation. 18%, that's one in five. Uh, so the answer to that is an unequivocal, equivocal yes, Bonnie. Thank you, Larry. Let's now ask Heather Ashton, what do you think? I think we're already seeing some early examples of how we can ease congestion with V to I, um, smart, the smart traffic signals, to be able to, again, send signals to f- ease the flow, right? If you're talking about, mm-hmm. you think about in New York City, that's a great example, Bonnie, when you see all those, that string of lights that all of a sudden seems to turn, you know, red every single block you get to. Um, being able to use technology to, to ease that flow so it can move more continuously will actually cut down, you know, on the congestion. But to your point, um, you know, at, the, at that beach, you know, the beach scenario, one road in, one road out, we may have to move mm-hmm. to the skies. 
<laughs> okay, I've been there in years, so it doesn't bother me. But I and going to the Hamptons, Heather. Omg, yeah, right, you could be right. days on the road going to the Hamptons <laughs> and days coming back. Sunday turns into Tuesday, and everybody misses work. But I digress. Otto Shell, what do you think about? Uh, do you have very busy roadways near where you are in Germany, and do you think autonomous will reduce or eliminate that traffic? Yeah, I think when you when you compare uh, or when you combine autonomous and shared, then it makes sense. And then, and especially for the the big centers, for the big towns, where at the moment you even don't find a parking spot, absolutely makes sense. And uh, that's what we discussed before. If you have the right infrastructure, then you also can use autonomous in a way for the the, the more land areas. But for the cities, certainly it makes sense to to have both combined shared and uh, and autonomous. Thank you very much. Now, Heather, I made you wait, and I thank you for your patience. Let's look at your notes here. And here's one of our favorite topics, ethics. I've heard that technology has no ethics, no morality. So ethics in regard to autonomous vehicles and who is driving Miss Daisy and how fast are they driving or where are they driving or did they even ask her where she wants to go? Heather says ethics is an excellent topic for discussion. We need to build in the ethical code to the AI machine learning robot car of the future. All kinds of ramifications, all kinds of implications. Heather, why don't you take us there, please? Sure. Um, yeah, there really is a, a spectrum of, of, of use cases here. You know, some of them being things like, uh, you know, controlling how fast you're allowed to go. I know that um, with Autopilot recently re-released on the Tesla, um, Elon Musk announced that, you know, they were initially only going to limit it to 60 miles per hour. You know, so there's an example, right, of, of the machine deciding how fast you're allowed to go in a certain mode. Um, but also the, that, you know, kind of ethics discussion is, does the car hit, you know, the, the, the pedestrian or does it hit the bus, you know, if it has to, if it has to choose between the two. Um, and I wanted to take it even further and along that sort of um, overlord's quote from the beginning and think about the future where your car is connected to your personal assistant, is connected to your fitness tracker, tracker is connected mm-hmm. to your phone, and, dis- and decides on your behalf that you should really forgo that visit to the fast food chain, um, you know, to get, your, to get your lunch and instead tries to take you to a smoothie shack. So, you know, the question becomes how, how much we will kind of, you know, move into that area, that whole autonomous experience, as Otto was saying, you know, with these, you know, artificial intelligence in, in the car, in the connected car. Interesting. So it's, uh, is that big brother, big sister, or big mommy? In the car with you, Heather. <laughs> no, we're not. We're not stopping there. No, you don't need an extra package of Cheetos. Yes, we will get that bottle green something, and you won't have vodka in it today. Thank you very much. We're telling you what to do, Otto Shell. What do you think? What about the ethics aspect, Otto? Yeah, I think this is very important from two aspects. Aspect number one is uh, if you don't discuss this early enough, you won't get adoption because people will turn around ethics into scare. And that's why I think it's good to address it in the beginning. Secondly, uh, we'll take a time that artificial intelligence can really also learn ethics. So at the end, at the moment, yeah, we may have different technologies in a couple of years. There are machines which learn rules. And if they really react, uh, then ethical and say, okay, I know I could offer you something, but I'm not sure if I should do takes us a while. No? So from this point of view, yeah, it's important to address, to get the adoption in the right way and also to make people aware. On the other side, I'm pretty sure at a certain point in time, artificial intelligence will be 
overtaking ethical discussion by doing themselves. Thank you very much. And uh, Heather, I'm looking at the word egg McMuffin in your notes here, and I'm, my mouth is watering. I had just a tiny bit of oatmeal for breakfast. I'm still hungry. Okay, my car will stop anywhere I want it to stop because I'm driving. Larry Stoley, what about your car and the ethics? Do you really want your car connected to your tracker and your tell you where you can and can, may and may not stop for what kind of food you want? Well, you, you know, Heather said it well. You know, we, we're still in control. We have ethics. and I mean, uh, we have choices, not ethics. Mm-hmm. We have choices. And, you know, the cargo has choice. And, you know, I, I don't think, you know, the, the autonomous vehicle, the personal assistant vehicle, if you will, uh, with all of our information, all of our identity, is going to necessarily um, put us in an awkward position where it decides for us without us having recourse. So I, I, I don't think that will come. Here, come. But, you know, the, the interesting thing about morality, about ethics and so on, that's such an imprecise area because Heather's morality and, and my morality may be two degrees apart. And when we get into situations that vehicles are going to find themselves in, autonomous vehicles are going to find themselves in, what's the right choice? Hit the bus, hit the person. Well, you know, I don't know if there's a right choice. And a human making that moral or ethical decision doesn't always make the moral or ethical decision the same way. So, you know, I think we have to be aware that, you know, this is going to be a continuous process. There are going to be tons and tons of rights and wrongs. And each and every one of those right and wrong decisions is not and should not, you know, doom the whole process of autonomous vehicles uh, to, to uh, the junk bin because it's just not that way. Humans don't operate that way. Absolutely not. Thank you very much. Uh, Heather, I'm circling back to you. Anything you want to add before we move on? I think I think Larry sums it up well, and I do think that there will be shades of gray or shades of, you know, choice. Uh, and I also do think that, um, again, at the end of the day, what do we do as humans to protect ourselves? We pass laws and regulations. <laughs> so, so I don't I don't see a future where the car will just you know just take over, autonomously take over, right? Um, but I do feel that you know we will will kind of be have the human um, element kind of you know fit in along the way to 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 reach kind of stasis. I, w- I guess I would say right a, a situation where everyone is comfortable with the way the cars or the vehicles respond in situations and, and the way that, you know, how much privacy, how much, you know, um, autonomy the human wants in the conversation. Thank you, Heather. I'm looking at Otto's notes here. And Otto, let's get the word fun into this. I'm looking at your second comment here. You say driving autonomously does not really make fun unless everyone is doing this. And and there's a comment after you say, seeing another car with a human driver will scare passengers in the autonomous vehicle in the future as more and more driverless cars become commonplace. So let's talk about that transition. What will that look like, Otto? And then we'll go around the table and get Larry and Heather to chime in. What will that transition look like when and autonomous cars are proven to be safe when cities perhaps have a fleet of them and you can hire them or rent them or lease them or just ride in them for free and some people are driving and some people are being driven by autonomous. What will that transition look like? How long will it last? Otto, any thoughts? I don't know how long it will last, but how would it look like? I'm pretty sure if you really adopt autonomous and you you use the free time you have sitting in something which is driving you back and forward like a like a train and then you are looking on your on your smartphone, you are doing business, you are 
ordering stuff, you are preparing your next travel, or you even play with kids or something. Uh, I'm not sure if you really find time to look outside and to see somebody else, but I'm pretty sure if you look up and there's still a driver in who is driving, people will be scared because then <laughs> who they trust more, the driver or the machine. Uh, but I think the reason why I uh, put this in place is it's all about efficiency. Can you imagine you are really like in, in a trail of cars and they are flowing and you are not staying and you can even say to in your business you are on time or to a friend you are on time instead of calling back. I'm in a traffic jam and I don't have any control. So that would be the fun part. The fun part would also be that you are not really get stressed because it doesn't matter if you drive 250 or 30 because somebody else is driving. It's just that you get on time, can do your business in between, you can even sleep or relax, and that is for me the fun part. That's why I personally uh, like driving, but I have not to drive with somebody else volunteers because I do all the fun part whilst I get driven. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, getting personal in- here. Including, Larry's- including hearing good music. There, yeah, I know. Otto and your techno. I never forgot you sent me a clip of techno music you like to play in your, shall we say, tricked out SUV with all the bells and whistles and the music as well. Larry Stoley, what do you think? What do you think about this transition period? What will it look like from your POV, Mr. Car Guy? Well, you know, it, it's interesting. I just want to go back to the cargo statement for a minute mm-hmm. that I made. You know, what really are you when you ride a train, when you ride a plane, when you're on a ship? True. Your cargo. You have no control. But, you know, moving... I just had to say that. But beyond, Well, I you know, appreciate that. that. Go ahead. But beyond that, you know, how long is this transition going to take? You know, I, I don't know. You know, it depends on how, long, how durable us old dinosaurs are. Uh, but, but I think, you know, I, I, I will challenge a little bit and say, are people going to be terribly scared of human drivers? I think the people who grow up with or or begin in autonomous vehicles and know nothing else will be scared, absolutely. But I think people who have transitioned from driving to autonomous vehicles will be very understanding and very uh, comfortable with coexistence. So if you've never known anything else, you'll be scared. I, I believe that, absolutely. But if you've transitioned from driving to driverless, I think you'll be uh, pretty comfortable. Thank you. Very, very interesting. Heather, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Are you going to be scared or comfortable or something in the middle? Sure. I would say it's interesting um, to think about that kind of, um, you know, comparing those two, say, uh, generations to their acceptance. And what I, what I have to say from the experience of the, the teenagers I have living in my, my house, so the digital natives, um, is that when they're riding in, in a car or a train or a plane, they pay no attention to the outside environment. So I have a feeling there will be much less scared, you know, or apprehension because they won't even be paying any attention to the fact that some of the cars are being driven by human drivers. I think, I think we, you know, those of us who have driven and know kind of the risks and, and you know, potential problems will pot- probably be more, more scared or alarmed uh, when we see sort of that mix on the road. Um, but I have a feeling that, you know, w- once we get to the point where there's a, t- a lot of autonomous cars and shared, um, you know, and other types of uh, modes, that there, there will not even be any attention paid. Because as Otto said, all the things you can do inside the cabin, um, you know, of that car, you're not going to be looking out the windows. <laughs> I wonder what the interior of the car will look like. 
any thoughts on that? If you're if you're able to do, will we all have? Uh, will there be automatically Wi-Fi? Will there be plugins for charging all of your devices? Will there be big screens to be able to do work if you don't get car sick, seasick, whatever we're going to call it at that <laughs> point? Automatic autonomous vehicle, backseat driver, cargo sick, something, whatever. Is there going to be a dispensary for uh, for Dramamine if if the car is so smooth that you're? I don't know, um, Heather. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, actually, yes. I um, there's a uh, in some of the research that I've done uh, was following Yangfeng. They're a uh, a tier one supplier, and they released at the uh, Detroit Auto Show, I believe, and their kind of um, model car for the future. And it has four modes, so it has picture uh, you know a really nice luxury sedan with four seats inside, but those seats can swivel and move into different modes, including work, lounge family and actual drive. So this is a car that still had the capability to, you know, to drive if you wanted to drive it. Um, so, that, so that was a pretty interesting, you know, very, you know, the mood lighting and, as you said, sort of the surround sound and the video screens and the charging was capable. So they're already thinking about it. We already have prototypes. So it's Sounds coming. like we're bringing the disco era back. <laughs> the little, remember the little tiny lights along the base? And when you go on a limo ride to, I guess, for a prom, they'd have the little runner lights. I, I digress. Yes, this is ex- that, exactly. You're so right, Bonnie. This example had that, had the runner lights. That's very funny. Wow. I'm dating myself. <laughs> That's a, I think, Otto. I think Bonnie, yeah, go ahead, Otto. Bonnie, the big difference is that uh, all the technologies you mentioned is already in the car. But the big difference is if you don't have a smartphone in your hand that you can look into each other's eyes and you can have really some nice time. Uh, <laughs> we might need a little different than techno music if we're going to look into each other's eyes, Otto. Yeah, right. Trust me on that. <laughs> Shades of Johnny Mathis. Chances are, if you look into my uh-huh. eyes, the ride will be... I'm, I'm just getting off track here. So, uh, we've covered a lot of topics so far, but I want to... We're not quite at the predictions round. We've got about five minutes till we go to the crystal ball, but I'm going to push Larry Stoley into the future because he sent me a very futuristic-looking statement in his notes before the show. Let me just read this Larry and and let's see what you have to say and then we'll get Heather and Otto to chime in. You say machine learning, artificial intelligence, autonomous vehicles. Now flying vehicles are on the horizon. Science fiction of just a few decades ago is here. We must accelerate our imaginations, don't you think? So let's talk about flying vehicles, Larry, and and it, what imagination will be left for just let's stay with between autonomous vehicles, fully autonomous, only ones on the road. You and Elon Musk will be very happy, and Otto probably will be too. And uh, flying vehicles, what will happen and who needs to imagine what, Larry? Well, you know, the, the, there's two things that, that I'll bring up. First off, uh, think about the design of flying vehicles and, tra- and translate that back down to autom- autonomous vehicles on the road. You know, all these things we can do in an autonomous vehicle, swivel seats, big screens, there's going to be a whole new art of creating safety with those things. Remember, vehicles' interiors are designed today to be safe. You know, you have seat belts, you have uh, airbags, you have all that kind of stuff. You still have to do that with an autonomous vehicle that allows you to watch TV, to, you know, swivel your seat around and so on. It's going to be a whole new engineering challenge, if you will. Flying vehicles. Think about the infrastructure necessary for that. You know, we have this wonderful thing, uh, infrastructure in the world today, air traffic control, right? And Mm -hmm. think about how that's evolved. Think about putting, 
how many millions of airplanes in the road uh, in the air if you will instead of on the road uh, with flying vehicles I mean this is this is going to be really really interesting in the future but you know we've got car companies today that are experimenting with flying vehicles so when a mainstream car company makes that uh, decision to experiment with flight you can bet it's coming Wow, Heather, fly me to the moon. Will we be in a? Will we be in an SUV? Will we be in a an old GM Roadster? What will we be in if we have flying cars? Any any whimsical thoughts from you, Heather? Yes, I think we're going to be. I think we will finally come to see the day where the Jetsons will come to life. I, I just want the. I, want, I don't know if you remember that, but in the beginning scene, the dad drops the the daughter or the wife off at the mall, and and she takes his instead of the money handed out, she takes the whole wallet. So maybe we won't need. We'll have cryptocurrency and everything, so we won't need the wallet. But I want, you know, I can envision the day with those little personal, you know, those little personal flying machines. I, Heather, I, I just looked up to get my dates right here. The Jetsons was an American animated sitcom produced by Hanna-Barbera, originally airing in primetime. Listen to this. It only was on the air for less than a year. In, initially, September 23rd, 1962 to March 17th, 1963. I'm, I'm opening my Wikipedia. Then uh, later in syndication with new episodes from 1985 to 87 as the futuristic world of Hanna-Barbera block of programming. Interesting. It was Hanna-Barbera's Space Age counter part to the Flintstones. Very, very interesting. So the original show was only on for about six months. I guess we weren't ready for the future back then. Heather, did you know it was such a short run? I didn't. I did not, no. I, I was going to say because it is such a, a, you know, so popular to see in It's iconic. And and, yeah, yeah. Absolutely iconic. Otto, did you ever see the Jetsons? Was it over there in Germany or did you hear about it from, from your friends in the U.S.? What do you know about the Jetsons, Otto Shell? I cannot connect us at the moment. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll I'll take that dry comment as leave me alone. That's just fine. And on, no, on that note, I around. I cannot connect it. So. <laughs> okay. Take a look, Jetsons. J E T. It was a, a family of uh, of flying future people who looked like the Flintstones, but very modern age in this glass encased. Okay flying machine and they would just zoom all over the, the stratosphere whatever sphere they were in and drop off at space stations for whatever to play, to go to school, to go to work very modernistic and think back 1962-63 we weren't even thinking about that stuff but obviously somebody in the creative department at Hanna-Barbera was thinking about it, visualizing it and drawing it so there, I think you'll enjoy it Otto. Larry Stoley, okay. this has brought us just about to, to our Bonnie ends with a thud here just about brought us to our predictions round and uh, Larry let, let's look at let's look at I usually ask for 2020 but let's ask for 22 2022 because that was in the statistic you sent me Larry you said by 2022 about one percent of the total vehicles on the world's roads could be autonomous vehicles numbering 10 million so should we look at that milestone 2022 Larry and predict what it will really look like then or do you have another date you'd like to talk about no, I, I think that's a fair day. And, you know, when I really think think about that, that came from a research study that was released recently. And 10 million vehicles on the road, that's that's a lot. And think about it for a minute. Where are the, the really good infrastructures that will allow that? They're in the really developed countries. 
you know, maybe it's the big eight and so on and so forth. So the density of that 10 million vehicles won't be evenly spread around the world. But I think in 2022, you, you will absolutely have very, very visible numbers of autonomous, fully autonomous vehicles. Uh, fully autonomous uh, vehicles will, will be there. You'll see them. You will know them. Today, you see an autonomous vehicle. They're, they're few and far between. But by 2022, they'll be recognizable. They'll, they'll be everywhere. One prediction that, I, that I'm careful of, remember mm-hmm. Terminator and the rise of the machines when they became yeah. aware? Think about that. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. <laughs> Heather, I can give you, I didn't give Larry 60 seconds, but he took about that much. Heather, I can give you a whole two minutes here. So what would you like to talk about for your prediction, Heather? Yeah, I guess what I would like to say is the, again, I love these conversations we have about talking about the far-off future, and some of the future is a little, a little faster or closer than other parts of it. Um, but 2022, I'm going to say, you know, most of the car makers state that by 2021 they will have mass-produced autonomous vehicles of some sort. I think that's going to largely be um, fleets. It's going to be the car sharing, the ride sharing, replacing the, the, the taxi cabs. So I'm going to say that in five years, we're still going to have an awful lot of people on the roads driving their own cars. Those cars are going to increasingly be connected and much safer, um, but I don't think that we're going to be, you know, quite as far along as we all hope and talk about. Um, but the good news is that I think from an artificial intelligence perspective, we are giving our machines and our commanders and overlords a lot of time to be able to, you know, become increasingly intelligent and understand the nuances of our ethics and our preferences and everything in that ensuing time. So, that's Thank my, you my very view. much. Thank you, Heather. And Otto Schell in Germany, what do you see in the future about in 2022 or any future point in time you'd like to share? with us. Otto? Yeah, two predictions. Short-term prediction, there may be autonomous service cars. So for specific service, driving autonomous, uh, that makes sense. But I would like to come back to a discussion we had earlier about flying cars. So here's my Mm -hmm. prediction for the future. There will be some intelligent people who will really detect that it's cheaper to invest in virtual streets than into real infrastructure. And then we will fly. Okay, very, very interesting. Do you have another prediction? You want to talk about, you agree with the figure that Larry quoted, 10 million autonomous vehicles around the world, 1% of total vehicular traffic by 2022. Agree or disagree with that, Otto? Yeah, I agree in the content, uh, as I mentioned, uh, for specific services and for specific areas. Okay, thank you very much. I have a bonus question for the three of you. We are actually, uh, we have about two minutes extra, which never happens, Larry. We never have extra time. But my bonus question will be, what would, if you could name your autonomous vehicle, two minutes, thank you, Kevin. If you could name the autonomous vehicle, if you could go to that factory and say, I want one in the image of, or favorite for Larry Stoley and favorite for Heather Ashton, favorite car for Auto Shell, what would the name, not the brand, but the name of that car, what would be on the hood of that car if you could emboss it in gold lettering or whatever? What would you call your favorite autonomous car? Something very meaningful. Larry Stoley, what do you think? Wow. I, Sorry, I've dear. never been asked such a question. Well, I you've never had me ask it before. I've never asked it. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, that that's a, 
I would name okay, it after I, me. Let, let's give let's give Gary ninety uh, ninety seconds thinking time. So my name is Evolution <laughs> Evolution of Evolution of Industry. That is how I branded the entire digital space. And there's the last in the German word Lust inside Evolustry. <laughs> Thank you, Otto, for chiming in. I appreciate yeah. that. Heather, let's, let's, I have I'll one for you, Larry, but what would okay. you call it, Heather? I would jump in with mine. Based on that, all of our cargo discussion at the beginning, I would say, um, you know, fragile cargo on board. <laughs> you know, when my daughter flies, she's all grown up, but when she lets me know she's on a business trip, I still say to her, tell the pilot he's carrying precious cargo. I s- Larry, I swear, I just remembered I don't call the pilot and say, hey, my kid's in row 5CC, you better watch out. But but I say, tell the pilot he's carrying precious cargo. So precious cargo, fragile That's cargo. Heather, yeah. I love that, Heather. I love that. We precious just collapsed. Larry, Larry, I still waiting quickly. I got 30 seconds to wrap up here. Larry, what you got? Cargo carrier. Cargo carrier. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to call it a glass of Stoli on the rocks or straight up. Go. That's what, It'll be Stoli, Stoli straight up. That'll be your car. Listen, straight the up. three of you, I want to thank you so much. Very lively conversation. Larry Stoli, you've done it again. Great panel, great concept, great topic, really good talking points. Larry Stoli at SAP, Heather Ashton, IDC, Otto Shell at GM, and a shout-out to Kevin, our engineer at World Talk Radio. Thank you, Kevin, for getting us on the air and keeping us there, and we are out of time. So how apropos to a series on the future of cars. I'm going to give you my shout out, my call to action. I'm serious this time. Whether you're driving, you're a passenger, or you're in an autonomous vehicle, darn it, fasten your seatbelt. Come on, what are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.